Welcome to another edition of SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams. And John, I don't know about you, but when we talked some SEC basketball on last week's installment of the podcast, we got rave reviews from that. I heard from a number of our listeners that were happy that we pivoted away from football for uh, a few minutes and got into some basketball talk. Did you hear some feedback from folks as well? Absolutely nothing. I guess all that got directed to me, which is the way I like it. All the praise comes to my inbox. All the criticism goes to yours, right? <laughs> anyway, it's uh, it's NCAA tournament time. And since we, uh, we did step outside the box last week, talk a little hoops, uh, this is the time of year, maybe the only time of year, where uh, I think basketball has an argument for trumping football in SEC land. And, and with the uh, the bracket reveal coming out on Sunday, we want to start there. Perhaps we'll get into a couple football topics, but we're going to lead off with March Madness talk. John, six SEC teams in the tournament, a couple teams with a two seed. Kentucky and Auburn get the two seeds. Tennessee's a three, Arkansas's a four, and Alabama and LSU are six seeds. On the outside looking in is Texas A&M. What was the biggest snub in your mind from an SEC perspective? Was it somebody's seed? Was it A&M getting left out? Who got snubbed the most? I didn't like the SEC seeding. It's as though the tournament selection committee thought, well, the SEC is a football conference. So we're not putting any more than six teams in the tournament. It's football conference. It's also a great basketball conference this year. Aside from the seeding, though, the biggest snub to me was Texas A&M. On a neutral floor, it won back-to-back games against Arkansas and Auburn. Two of the best teams in the country, I think. It also beat a pretty good Florida team before that. And lost in the championship game to Tennessee after playing four games in four days. A&M won 23 games and played in a tough conference and beat Auburn and Arkansas back-to-back and he can't get into the tournament. I mean, that's ridiculous to me. Michigan got in, I think, with a 17-14 and 14 record. I don't care all this quad one stuff. Just look at the look at the team's play and look at what they did late in the season. And all of a sudden now they act as the tournament selection committee with used to say the 10 get last 10 games matter, but now they don't. Why is that? It shows you're playing well as you're about to go into the tournament. To me, the idea is to get the best teams in the field. You're limited in that because you have so many conference champions from mid majors who aren't the best teams but they love to put them in the tournament. I understand that. That may help makes the tournament. But you can't just ignore what Texas A&M did. It makes me think the SEC should play its championship game on Saturday. But even that would even that probably wouldn't have helped the Aggies. It's interesting with A&M because I'm I'm a little conflicted here. On the one hand, as you said, the the mid-majors and what happens in the first couple rounds of this tournament, the upsets, the Cinderella's, that's what makes March Madness, the NCAA tournament, that's what makes makes it what it is. I mean, unlike football, where, you know, you, there is no format to where a Cinderella can can knock off the big dog. And, in, and even if there was such a format, I know you and I believe, think it would be very unlikely, very uncommon that some team from outside the Power Five would, would be a party wrecker in a, in a football tournament. 
basketball yeah, is different. Cincinnati, Cincinnati, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Basketball is different, and and I like seeing those mid majors in. So when it comes down to it, if if Wyoming stole the the last bid from Texas A and M, on the one hand, I say give it to the smaller program. But that's just personal feeling. If if you're looking at the actual metrics, which is the way bids are supposed to be handed out, do any of these things that we come up with matter? I mean, we can come up with the the net ranking. I guess the RPI wasn't good enough, so there's a, a net rating now, which I don't know what all goes into it, but it's supposed to be this important metric that the committee uses. Well, Texas A&M has a higher net ranking than Wyoming has. As you mentioned, last 10 games, Texas A&M comes in playing really well, went 8-10 and 10 in their last 10. Wyoming was 5-5 five and five in their last 10. So it's like they just they make up these rules, they make up these, these, um, uh, you know, these analytics and uh, these metrics they're supposed to apply. But then when it comes down to, it's like they don't even follow their own rules sometimes. So it is, you know, at the end of the day, does A&M have a, a massive gripe of being left out? I don't know. Like, I think if they would have posted a better resume, they'd, they'd probably be in. However, they did what they, sh- they had to do in the last 10 games, and it didn't, it didn't ultimately matter. Again, Blake, I really think it's important if you get it, if it's questionable whether team is in or out, I think one thing, and they never mentioned this, it's really the eye test and how you do against the very best teams. And I go back to those Auburn and Arkansas victories. If you're good enough to beat Arkansas and Auburn back-to-back on a neutral floor, you could make a Final Four run. Uh, that's just that's a fact. I mean, Auburn was number one much of the season slumped a little bit toward the end, but Arkansas's beaten really good teams. You look at, if we keep this to an SEC discussion in LSU, LSU's a, in the tournament, I think, what is it, a six seed maybe? Yeah, they're a six. Uh, okay. I mean, really, look at those teams right now. LSU's lost his coach, finally. I thought Will Wade would never go away, but finally he's gone. So LSU versus Texas A&M. Who would you not want to play in the NCAA tournament? You wouldn't want to play Texas A&M. I mean, it's a more balanced team. It plays great defense. It can hit threes on a good day. That That's just, uh, again, it's a little bit of an eye test, but you just watch these teams play, and you think, well, which team wouldn't I want to play? I'll tell you what I'm going to do, John. I don't like the idea of kicking Wyoming out of, of the tournament because, like I said, I, I do have a little bit of a soft spot in the, the NCAA tournament for those smaller programs. So you mentioned Michigan earlier. That's what that's what I'm going to do. I'm kicking Michigan out of the field and making room for A&M because Michigan, I mean, they're 17 and 14. I know the Big Ten's supposed to be this great conference, and it is a good basketball league, but they're 17 and 14. They're 5 and 5 in their last 10 games. Um, so they're, they're limping to the finish. Texas A&M's playing well going into the postseason, which is now the NIT for them. Uh, so I'm going to leave Wyoming alone, get Michigan out of there. A&M's in. Well, also there's a nut, something else to consider with uh, Michigan. Who knows? It's head coach might attack another coach in the tournament. And that's a black eye. There no you go. Unintended. Yeah. Uh, Jawan Howard got suspended one game this year. I think it was just one game. No, he was suspended um, for five games. He was maybe suspended it for like five. one game. And this probably uh, Tennessee doesn't care about Texas A and M. 
But anytime Michigan gets something over an SEC team, it bothers Tennessee fans. Because you know, Tennessee fans are bothered anyway because they think they think they should be yeah. a two seed, and I don't I don't disagree. I mean, it's I don't like, either. Do these conference tournaments matter or do they not? Um, if they matter, then how is Tennessee on the three line after winning the SEC tournament? Like you said, it's it's proven to be one of the best conferences in basketball uh, throughout this season. And so they win the conference tournament and they're still sitting there on the three line. However, I would say this. If I'm Tennessee, I'd rather be the three seed in the region that they're in with Arizona as the one and Villanova as the two than have the two seed in Gonzaga's region. I think that Gonzaga region is is loaded. Gonzaga's one, Texas Tech is is the three seed in that region. Arkansas is the four seed in that region. So as much as I know Tennessee fans feel like they got snubbed off the two line, and I think they have a good argument for that. They went two and one against Kentucky this year. Um, they're 12 and one since the start of February, Tennessee is. They win the conference tournament. They were snubbed from the two line, absolutely. But I don't think you want to be the two seed in, in Gonzaga's region. So I think you just say, hey, the draw is not that bad. We got snubbed off the two line, but it is what it is. Blake, if you if your team is capable of making the Final Four and you're convinced of that as a coach, then the region you would not want to be in is the one with Gonzaga, which easily could have won the national title last year, lost to Baylor in a great game. But this is a very talented team, and Tennessee doesn't match up that well with Gonzaga. Maybe most teams don't. That's what I was thinking before the seeding was announced, before the field was announced. I'm thinking, if I had a fi- chance at a Final Four, the one thing, if I can just take that off the table, it would be I don't have to play Gonzaga in a regional. And then I, I would let the chips fall where they may after that. And, and looking at the draw, because I think really the draw matters as much or more than a team's seating does. You know, which region are you in? What's your path to the Final Four? What, what quarter are you going to be playing? All, all that stuff. And looking at the draw, I thought maybe – Kentucky got the most favorable draw here because Baylor is the one seed in that region, but Baylor's leading scorer hasn't played in a month. LJ Cryer's been out with a, with a foot injury. So, you know, if you're going to be, you got to have a one seed in your, your region. I'd, I'd, I'd prefer to be Baylor. Um, so I think that, that stacks well into, um, to Kentucky's column there. I think being in the East is, is not such a bad deal. Um, the region finals are in, in Philadelphia. It's not like it's across the planet from from Lexington. Big Blue Nation can get to Philly if they if they want to. The only thing I don't like about Kentucky's draw is a potential second round matchup with Murray State. Thirty win Murray State lurking on the on the seven seed line there. And you know if if that matchup comes to pass, Murray State's going to treat a second round game against Kentucky uh, like it's the Super Bowl. Yeah, you you know that, but. If Kentucky can avoid trouble there, you know, I still believe when Kentucky plays to its best, I don't know if there's a better team in the nation. There's not many. And with Baylor having some vulnerabilities with some injuries, I think of all the SEC teams, I like Kentucky's chances to get to the Final Four the most. What do you think? Uh, That's a fair assessment. I I guess, uh, honestly, I think Tennessee, Kentucky, or Auburn, any one of those teams could make the Final Four, and I wouldn't be surprised. Two of them could make it. The SEC plays incredibly tough defense. 
So it all comes down in the tournament to how well how well these teams play offensively because they're going to make it difficult for opponents that are used to scoring a lot of points, even Gonzaga. Um, and you saw what Kentucky did to Kansas during the regular season. I know it's just one game, but to beat Kansas by that, by 18 points at Allen Fieldhouse, that sent a message. As you said, when Tennessee, Kentucky's at its best, as it was in 107-79 victory over Tennessee, nobody looks better. Um, I, I just think it will come down to scoring with those teams, and I think it also officiating is going to play a big role. If the officials let a lot of contact go in this tournament, as they did throughout the SEC season in both the tournament and the regular season, to me, it will really be an advantage for SEC teams. They're used to a lot of contacts, uh, a lot of contacts. So I, I think that would favor uh, SEC teams. I'm going to throw this out there and see if you agree, John. I, I think the team most vulnerable to a first-round upset, most people would probably say LSU. They just fired Will Wade. They're not really playing hot basketball coming into the tournament. However, I thought they got a really good round one draw in Iowa State, a team that's been trounced in three straight games. Um, I mean, if if LSU's limping into the tournament, uh, what's what's worse than that? I mean, Iowa State's crawling in. Uh, it's they're, on they're a stre- it's in. on a stretcher, and they're just yes, they're getting the wheeled team. in on a stretcher. Yeah, I like that. So I think I think LSU is going to win in, in round one, and, uh, and I don't I don't know that it's going to have that much of a scare. And so I actually think the team that maybe should be most worried and is most vulnerable to a round one upset is fourth seeded Arkansas. I thought that was a really tough draw getting Vermont and round one. Vermont's won 28 games. And now you say, well, look at the schedule. It's still hard to get to 28 wins. They just ran roughshod through their, their conference tournament. They were beating teams by like 40 points. Um, they've played a, a couple other mid-majors who are in this field. They played Colgate. Um, who won Patriot League. They beat Colgate. Uh, they beat uh, the Ivy League champion in, in Yale. So I think this is a really good Vermont team. And the other thing, Arkansas 17 and 17-1 at home this year. Well, that's great, but this game's going to be played in Buffalo. That's a lot easier trip for the Vermont fans than it is for the folks from Fayetteville. I've got Arkansas as, as the upset special uh, losing to Vermont in round one. What do you think? Who's, who's most vulnerable to going down in, in round one from the SEC? I don't even know who whom Alabama's playing. You don't you don't care, right? You got Alabama penciled into the final final four. Alabama plays either Rutgers or Notre Dame. That's why you don't know why, who they're playing. John, That's right. Alabama doesn't. They know don't know playing. either. <laughs> We're in the same boat. I I would pick Alabama's the most likely team to lose. I I just think it's been so inconsistent. It, it's defense just disappears at times. I mean, it can look great sometimes when it's 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 uh, transition game is really cranked up and it's hitting those open threes in transition and boy, it can do some really stupid stuff though. It, it's like it gets too fast for its own good sometimes. Alabama is. I, I wrote this after the bracket came out. Like I, I just can't resist their talent. It's like that tempting sirens call that leads you into to trouble and you're like, oh no, I fell for <laughs> fell for it again because <laughs> you look at 
<laughs> you look at Alabama's roster, I think they're really good. They had good guard play that matters so much in the NCAA tournament. They have wins over Gonzaga. They beat Baylor. Like if you if you want to put up each team in the tournament's five best wins against everybody else, like I don't think anybody has five better wins than what Alabama has. They beat Gonzaga, they beat Baylor, they beat Houston, they beat Tennessee, and they beat Arkansas. That's five good that's a, that's that's as good of five wins as anybody has. Two number country. one seeds. Two number one seeds. Yeah, so I mean I don't think this is crazy to say Alabama's good enough to go to the final four talent wise and if they play their best game. But they're also inconsistent enough to lose by ten points in round one to either Rutgers or Notre Dame. So I although I threw out Arkansas, I, I'm probably I could be persuaded that that Alabama maybe is is the most vulnerable team in, in round one. I think I think I could buy that argument. The thing is, Alabama might be maybe a really good team would bring out the best in Alabama. But in those early round games, it might be it might not play a team. They won't be playing Gonzaga or Baylor in the first two rounds or Tennessee. It might be playing teams that'll I, I just I really don't understand Alabama. I've watched them a number of times and I just don't know what's going on. Three jobs now open in the SEC with Mike White from from Florida closing down one of the other jobs going from Florida to Georgia. That opens up the, the Florida vacancy. And as we record this, Missouri and also LSU are all open, as you said, Will Wade finally. Uh, reached the finish line and, and met his firing fate there at LSU, which I maintain has as much to do with Scott Woodward probably wants his own guy in there than anything that notice of allegations said. Not that not that the notice of allegations painted a good picture of Will Wade. I'm not saying that at all. But, I mean, what's changed in the last four years? Like four years ago, we knew Will Wade probably cheated and probably just threw the rule book out the window and, and acted as if the rules don't exist. And now that's still what we think probably happened. Like based on this, it's just like, I don't know what changed really other than now it's in a notice of allegations, but NCA enforcement informed LSU years ago that there is, you know, preliminary evidence of, of major violations. So I, I think as much as anything, Scott Woodward got to, to Will Wade as, as much as, as bad as it was, this notice of allegations. You have to apply the eye test to this too. And I'll do that. Will Wade, what are the coach in college basketball would more people most like to punch in the face? He does when score watch, really. Yeah, he scores high on that punchability factor, I think, yeah, for a lot of fans. It's whiner should be stamped on his forehead. He just looks like a guy that's always whining and never satisfied. And he may be the most wonderful human being on the planet. Oh, I know just, you think the world. Oh, you would I, never I, punch Will Wade in the face, would you? Of course not. I'd probably hurt my hand the way my body's deteriorating, but, uh, yeah, I, I just, this was inevitable. I, I think it's miraculous that he lasted this long as coach Scott Woodward, the AT, he swings for the fences at every opportunity. He probably can't wait to get Will Wade out of there. My guess is, is he will try and coach talk coach K out of retirement. Because he lives for the home run hire. He got Kim Mulkey in women's basketball. He got uh, Jimbo Fisher when he was at Texas A&M as his football coach. He wants to hit a home run. So 
Who's a home run hire out there? John Beeline. There you go. I mean, really, you, you threw out Coach K. Well, yeah, sure. But but seriously, like John Beeline was very accomplished at Michigan. He he goes to the NBA, coaches the Cleveland Cavaliers, not working out. But it didn't work out for him. Uh, now he's in like a senior advisor NBA position. And, you know, John Beeline's 69 years old. Maybe that's maybe that's where he wants to be. Uh, taking this thing into the into the sunset, uh, you know, I'm sure he he doesn't need to return to the college game and uh, and go coach LSU, an LSU program that still hasn't met its fate from the NCAA. Who knows? Maybe they get a a postseason ban. I mean, if you look at those allegations, I don't see how they could avoid a postseason ban. So maybe Beeline doesn't want that mess. But if you just look at like a big fish who could cons- is is available to me, it's John. Beeline. I mean, the guy was fantastic at Michigan. He was he was really good at West Virginia before that. And uh, I don't know what a, a senior advisor position in the NBA is like. It's probably a pretty cush job. Sounds pretty good to me. So maybe that's a lot better than coaching college basketball. But if he's got the itch, uh, that's a big name that jumps out to me right off the top. A lot of those guys have the itch too. I also think Scott Woodward relishes taking coaches away from other good programs. He did that. He took Brian Kelly away from Notre Dame, America's football school. I think I can say that. I mean, it's a national school. Took Brian Kelly away. He loved doing that. Took Kim Mulkey away from Baylor, three-time national champion Baylor. Took Kim Mulkey away. So what about Texas A&M's coach? Yeah, he hired him. He hired Buzz Williams at A&M. He hired Buzz Williams at the, uh, for the Aggies. As if A&M hadn't suffered a tough enough blow being snubbed by the by the NCAA selection committee, in swoops uh, Scott Woodward and takes its coach. You're not going to the NCAA tournament, and you're not going to have a coach. How do you like that? And also, he's still probably irked that he couldn't get Jimbo Fisher away. Maybe just hire Jimbo to coach the basketball team. <laughs> <laughs> It, there's going to be much uh, speculation on LSU with, oh, is it going to be hard to hire someone because of I mean, we don't know the verdict from the NCAA. Well, what about postseason ban? I think that's going to be overblown, though. A postseason ban, if it, even if it comes for LSU, which, as I said, if you look at the allegations, I don't see how they could avoid it, but you never know. The, the punishment does not always fit the crime when it comes to NCAA enforcement. Usually it comes down to how clever is your defense in, in meeting these allegations. Regardless of that, I just don't see a postseason ban if it were to happen for LSU as the end-all, be-all. This is basketball. It's not. I don't think a postseason ban sets you back the way it does in football. Uh, I mean, okay, if everybody wants to transfer, fine. I mean, all it takes is one good recruiting class and a couple transfers coming in, and you got a starting five. I don't think that has to derail your coaching search. And the other thing is, LSU has shown money's no object. So if someone's a little little wary of this job because the NCA investigation, well, you just, you just throw a bunch of money at it, throw some Brian Kelly money around and um, they might not be worried about that investigation anymore. And like I said, LSU shown money's not a problem for them. You're right, Blake. And the money doesn't have to go to coaches. Not only will they tell the coach they're going to make him very, very rich. They say, Hey, we'll give you, you, we'll give your recruits such great NIL deals. They won't care if they ever play in a tournament. That's a deal Will Wade could get behind. <laughs> Which of these yeah. three jobs is the best, John? LSU, Missouri, and Florida, all open. Which is the which is the best job of of those three? I'll eliminate Missouri without thinking much on it. 
Then gets down to LSU and Florida. Florida was great under Billy Donovan. I don't know. That's a tough call. I might go with LSU though. Florida didn't didn't really reach great heights under Mike White. Made the tournament a lot of times, but it didn't get to the level that's kind of expected of, of Florida's program. And did it really get to that level that often when when it didn't have Billy Donovan as a coach? I think maybe Lon Kruger was there for a cup of coffee and maybe made a Final Four. I, I, I might not have that right. That is sort of where I stand on Florida, John, is like, do we know Florida is a great job or, or was Billy Donovan just really good <laughs> at Florida? Um, it, it's hard to, and Lon Kruger was at Florida, by the way, in, in the in the 90s, but it, it, Lon Kruger was not what Lon Kruger then went on to become after after leaving Florida. So, yeah, I don't know if Florida is necessarily the best job out, out of these three. I think I probably tend to agree with you. I, I might go with LSU, um, which made a couple Final Fours in, in the 80s, uh, another one in the 2000s. If Billy Donovan was at Florida, then yeah, I'd say Florida's the <laughs> the best job, the best program of the three. But without Billy Donovan there, I side with LSU, I think. You just gave me an idea. Mm-hmm. Scott Woodward should go after Billy Donovan. Now we're cooking with gas here. Now that's, that's that. Shoot him an email after we're through our podcast and say just just two words: Billy Donovan. All right, I'll have to pull up Scott Scott Woodward's email, and and we hope that uh, you'll email us feedback of this podcast. All positive reviews go to me. All negative reviews go to John. Um, and if you do not subscribe to SEC Football Unfiltered. Uh, we'd appreciate it if you do so. We'll not miss an episode that way. They'll be in your inbox each and every week, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, you can go ahead and give us a review. Those ratings and reviews help us get in front of more listeners. All right, John, football is in the name of this podcast. So let's go ahead and, and talk a little bit of football here on, on, the, on the last segment. Something I was thinking about recently as it pertains to Alabama. I think you're naturally going to hear Bryce, num- Bryce Young's name linked to Archie Griffin throughout this season. Archie Griffin is the only two-time Heisman winner. Bryce Young won the Heisman as a sophomore, and so that spotlight's going to be on him. Can he win another Heisman trophy? To me, though, the better comparison, the better name to attach to Bryce Young entering this junior season is Tim Tebow. Not in playing style. Bryce Young and Tebow, obviously, different playing styles. However, <laughs> Tebow won the Heisman with a sensational sophomore season, and it was like he set the bar so stinking high, no matter what he did as a junior and senior, wasn't going to live up to that sophomore year. So he comes back as a junior on a better Florida team, and Tebow doesn't quite have the same level of season, still had a great junior season, but he didn't meet his own bar. And so he finishes third in the Heisman. Sam Bradford wins. But guess what? Florida wins the national championship. Tim Tebow outplays Sam Bradford in that BCS game. And Tebow walks away with a with a different, uh, I think in his eyes, uh, better set of hardware in the in the uh, crystal ball there. His, his second championship, he was, of course, the backup to Chris Leak as a freshman. I look at Bryce Young. Alabama wins a national championship. Bryce Young's a backup as a freshman. 
Then he wins the Heisman to as a sophomore. What do you think? Because I think there's a better chance that Alabama wins the national championship this year than Bryce Young wins the Heisman. Which do you think is more likely? I think that's a good call, and that's a great analogy with Tebow. I think there's a very good possibility that you also have to just you have to consider history, as as you've mentioned. Guys just don't win back-to-back Heisman's. Archie Griffith did it, but but nobody else has. I really I voted for Tebow that year, and I covered that game in in Miami between Oklahoma and Florida. I mean, yeah, it was Sam Bradford in Oklahoma against Florida and Tim Tebow, and of course the the Heisman had already been decided. But and Bradford had great numbers, but I really thought Tim Tebow should have won the Heisman in back-to-back years. He had a tremendous season. His stats probably weren't as good because he was having to do everything for that 2007 Florida t- team. And he was just, I can still remember him in that 07 season, just running wild through secondaries, just knocking, mm-hmm. <laughs> knocking linebackers and DBs aside as tremendous individual performance. But uh, I thought he should have, I thought he should have won that. I re- remember one play from that game. It was a, fourth and one or two, maybe two, and 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 Tebow is plows into the line, and it looks like he stopped. And he looked over to the sideline, to the down markers. As his forward progress was almost stopped, he glanced over there, and then he had another surge and made the first down. Never seen that before in, in, in football. But, yeah, that's a really good uh, – that's a really good point, though, about Bryce Young. But if not Bryce Young, who would it be? Who Who's an obvious? I mean, I think Caleb Williams is probably going to do good things out at, at USC, reuniting with, with Lincoln Riley. I think C.J. Stroud at, um, at Ohio State. Um, you know, the, that's a natural narrative because C.J. Stroud was, he made it very public. He was, he was unhappy uh, with, with his Heisman finish he thought he got snubbed a little bit by voters you know he's going to have another big season for Ohio State assuming he stays healthy and the other thing is I thought Will Anderson from Alabama was very underappreciated on the national scene I know we talked about him a lot topped my Heisman ballot but I think he was so underappreciated on the national scene last year there might be like this tendency to to try to make up for that and oh we forgot about Will Anderson Last year, we got to make up for that this year. And the other thing is, I think Alabama's defense is really going to be more of the the force driving driving the team this year. You look at that that 2008 Florida National Championship. As good as Tebow was, Florida's defense was very much improved that year. That was the biggest difference in Florida from 2007 to 2008. Their their defense got really really good. I think Alabama's defense is going to be great this season. And I'm not saying Will Anderson's going to win. Defensive guys just don't win this award, but he might get a little bit more attention. Another guy on Bryce Young's team. So, I mean, I think it could be a kind of a crowded field. If I had to just make an early prediction here in the spring, I'd probably say uh, Caleb Williams or, or CJ Stroud. Will Anderson, if he wants to win the Heisman Trophy, needs to transfer to Michigan right now. That's how defensive guys. Great point. Um, and defensive guys win the Heisman, as Charles Woodson can attest to that in the 1997 season. So, yeah, I think he is a tremendous, tremendous defensive player. And his his tackles for losses last season were were just far and away above anything anybody else did. 
And what I liked about him, even when Alabama was struggling, it never seemed as though Will Anderson struggled. He, he was always revved up and ready to make a play. So I hope he does get more Heisman consideration. John, as we enter spring practice here, some, some teams are already underway. Other teams are getting underway. Which quarterback competition in the SEC are you most intrigued by? I mentioned we're talking about Bryce Young. That's a quarterback competition where there's not much drama. And there are several competitions like that in the SEC. Which one do you think you're most interested in following, whether it be the spring or even into the, the preseason? I'll throw out just a few. You got uh, you got Texas A&M with Haynes King coming off injury and then the LSU transfer and, and Max Johnson. You have Auburn in the battle between the transfers and, and TJ Finley and and Zach Calzada. You got a, a multiple horse race there in Florida where Anthony Richardson's coming off injury. Emory Jones is back. Jack Miller's the Ohio State transfer. Those are just a, a couple that I guess off the top of my head. And, and then LSU goes very deep as well in its competition. Is there one that maybe stands head and shoulders above the rest that you think maybe is the most interesting quarterback battle here uh, as we go through the spring? Florida and LSU stick out to me. Florida, because I don't know what's going on with Emory Jones. Is he still in the transfer portal? Did he ever leave He it? never actually – I don't he believe never? he ever actually entered the portal. It was like everybody was waiting for him to enter the portal, and that was what the, the assumption was, was that he going to enter the portal. But I don't think he ever actually entered the portal. So, no, he just he stuck around, and I think everybody's still waiting for that name to pop, but it never did. Inconsistent performance is worth first year as a starter last season. Anthony Richardson, a highlight waiting to happen, but a guy who can't stay healthy. I mean, you go back to spring before the season, he, he always seems to be hurt, so you can't. And then you don't know about Jake Miller, the Ohio State transfer. Well, what will he bring to the table? Uh, we've seen that happen before. Ohio State to the SEC. Joe Burrow did okay at LSU, didn't he? So, yeah, and and then speaking of LSU, good gosh. I mean, they just got that. We talked about it last week, but that Arizona State transfer quarterback, Jaden Daniels, I mean, who <laughs> it, it already had a, a formidable group of candidates, all with potential, uh, led by, I guess, your guy, Miles Brennan. My guy. I love how quickly on this podcast somebody can become – Max Johnson has become your guy. Miles yeah. Brennan has become my guy. And it's, it's just so – I think our valuation of both of them is probably inflated a little bit just because the other – you know, our counterparts here on this pod you – know, I know I like Miles Brennan better than you do. You like Max Johnson better than I do. So all of a sudden, Miles Brennan's my guy and, and Max Johnson's your guy. And, We'll just well, have to, I, I we'll think just have with Brennan, I like his arm, but uh, his decision making and and his now, don't accident, be trying to take my guy. Well, no, I'm not taking him. I'm just kind of, I'm trying to give him a credit, I, some credit. I don't want to make it seem like, you know, in case his family's listening, I, I don't want to put him down and say the guy has no talent. He's a possible in NFL signee at some point. So. Enough of that. I, no, I don't like him as well as Max Johnson. Both of those players, though, they may end up not being anybody's guy because we can quickly distance ourselves from players and teams. So, I mean, in a couple of months, we may not even remember their names. I might not remember their names tomorrow. 
Maybe that should be the the tagline for this podcast, not remembering anybody's names and changing our opinions on a weekly basis. Final thing, John, we were talking about uh, March Madness in, in the lead segment here. Your pick to win the national championship, because I can't really decide on someone. I think, you know, and our, our editors like to have instant picks in some of these things. So I think my instantaneous pick was Duke. I, I don't really know that I like that pick. In in the instance that have gone by since that pick, I'm pivoting, I'm backpedaling away from that pick of, of Duke. I, I think Duke's incredibly talented. They do have the the good early season victory over Kentucky, but it's been a long time since then and now, and I haven't played that well recently. So I don't know. I'll give you another instant pick here. I'll go with Kentucky. I just I keep being enamored by their by their talent level, as we discussed before on this podcast. Love Oscar Shibway and what he does in the post. And that 18-point victory on Kansas's court in the fog, Fog Allen, one of the toughest places to play in America. I mean, Kentucky just showed that night what they're capable of. They showed it again in the one time they beat Tennessee and just blew the doors off of them. Now we've seen some evidence since then that Maybe it's foolish to pick Kentucky to win it all, but I think this is a wide open tournament. I'll probably pick three other teams between now and when it starts, but on this podcast, put me down for, for Kentucky. Well, I, I think that's a, I think that's a good pick. All it needs that Kentucky needs to happen is Kellen Grady start making threes. He's a really good three point shooter and has been mired in a horrible slump, but maybe the, maybe a new tournament, uh, we'll get him going. I mean, that's what Kentucky's missing right now. I love watching Shebway. I like watching Ty Ty Washington. So I don't have a problem with that pick. Um, but I just can't go against Gonzaga. I, I just think Gonzaga's too good to be there in back-to-back seasons. I thought it would win the championship last year. It didn't. Uh, I just think it'll win it this year. I think it's time for Gonzaga with all the talent and all the great teams it's had. Yeah, I, I like Gonzaga's team too. I think the the biggest thing that scares me to penciling them in on that national championship line is just that region. I know some so many times when we talk about what's the toughest region, what's the, the weakest region, sometimes when it all plays out, that gets turned on its head. But yeah, I look at I look at Gonzaga's West region and I think, oh, what a prize for being the number one overall seed. You get placed in a region with, with Duke, Texas Tech, and in Arkansas, I mean, come on, that's to me that's that's about as tough of a of an aggregate one two three four as I mean it's as tough as one I think of, of any of these regions. Oh, I agree. The reason I couldn't and Duke is not a bad pick either, but the biggest reason I couldn't pick Duke is because it was deprived so many people for of so much joy if they don't lose a game, because that's one of the great moments of the NCAA tournament when Duke loses. I mean, I've been in arenas and different tournaments and it's always, the reaction is always the same. It's as though they were playing on an opponent's home floor and lost. Instead, it's just uh, the general uh, group of fans there pulling against Duke, no allegiance to the team that beat them. But so I, I couldn't go with Duke, but it's very talented too. Texas Tech, some people look at Texas Tech as a a real a real force to be reckoned with in this tournament because of their defense. They can really shut somebody down. And Gonzaga hasn't played a team with that kind of defense. 
You know, it's interesting. You look at the three seed line, the team seated on the three, the Texas Tech, Tennessee, Wisconsin, and those are all really good defensive teams. It's mm-hmm. like the year for defensive teams wind up on the on the three side. Maybe that's why the Vols fell from from two to three. Is They play too good a defense, and three was the spot for those defensive teams this year. Who knows? Uh, Blake, one more thing. If somebody has heard anything from former Florida coach Dan Mullen, whom we both supported as one of the great coaches in college football and has uh, since fallen by the wayside, and we've turned our backs on him like so so many other people have. But if you hear of him or just read a quote somewhere, just shoot us an email. I believe he's in witness protection. That's why we haven't heard from him. He just fell off the planet, and I think that might be what it is. He's on like a fishing boat in Alaska. With the money he has, he can do just fine in witness protection. I'd jump into witness protection with that kind of money. Well, we need need you here on this podcast, John, so I'm not going to let that happen. Don't be testifying in any cases, but you can come back on this podcast and offer some more testimony next week. Thanks for listening to this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered.